Are you going to do the thing yet or no? We're waiting for Jessica. Here I am. <laughs> oh my goodness. What a treat. Did you know we were in the same spot or did we blow it? I saw like your, what was it, Royal Rumble? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I kind of figured, and um, there were a bunch of people I followed that were at Royal Rumble too, like reality show stars. Okay. And so I was, oh, geez, they're like showing some of the same stuff. So that was kind of neat. We did kind of mention that I, I think on the end of the last call that I was going to be in Florida anyway, but yeah. Jessica had this big plan where she would be out of I want to surprise you. Wow. So you guys got to watch it together, huh? Yeah, with my mom. We did get to watch it with Jessica's mom. Wow, is your head exploding from theories? Dr. Jessica said we're not doing theories today, but she said they're not theories, they're facts. Welcome to this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. This is our instant reaction into True Detective Night Country, aka True Detective Season 4, Episode 3, Night Country Part 3. Sorry for the delay this week. I was traveling and my editing software was not working well on the road. Additionally, Jessica and I were recording together this week, not on our standard mic, so sound quality may vary a little bit more than normal. Please note this episode may contain spoilers of seasons one through three of True Detective and episodes one through three of season four. It may also contain speculation of season four, including coverage of any trailers or articles that may have been released related to the show as of air date. Please note this episode may contain mature content, including cursing and inappropriate, albeit not funny jokes. I'll be your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode will be Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestige Ish Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore Ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair ten seventeen, both on Instagram and X. Now, without further ado. Here's the episode. Welcome to the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. I am your host, Craig Lake, and I am here live with Jessica Z. Hi, everyone. Craig and I are doing great. And Dan, <laughs> how are you doing this evening? I'm not too bad. I see you're sipping on something. You got a hot toddy going on. What's going on over there? Just a little coffee to make sure that I'm all amped up. Get me through it. It's been a long week. I hear you. I hear you. Craig and I did a bang tonight. We went to one <laughs> restaurant and ate, and then we immediately went to, oh, that was an Italian restaurant, and then we immediately went to a Mexican restaurant and ate. Wow. So you're going to do a bang and then a boom later once that burrito hits the, we hits did the, the uh, off It was a classic. <laughs> the old Olive Garden tour of Italy, Mexico. Okay. Uh, part three, Night Country Part Three. Dan, what's your immediate ranking after watching? I went a seven six. I'm I'm definitely gonna need to do at least one more pass, if not two. But yeah, I feel like instead of the scope narrowing down, we're three episodes in. And it's going all sorts of different directions I didn't anticipate. So I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around all the repercussions. 
What I would say too, this is Jessica and I's first time watching together and recording together. And so it's a little bit of a different watch. Like even watching on a TV, I normally have the iPad down so I can take notes. So looking up and down is even more distracting, but definitely at least one or two more watches. Jessica, what did you think of this episode? What's your rating first watch? I thought it was... I was going to say 7.5 because I didn't like it as much as I liked the first two. And also, you know, I hate when they add too many characters that it starts getting confusing and it needed more Pete, the Uh, killer. So I think I'm going to give it an eight, which is a pretty lazy rating. I mean, I could see giving it a 7.9. 1.6 doesn't hurt my feelings. I wouldn't give it higher than an eight, but I thought it was a solid episode. When you say too many characters, Jessica, do you mean the Inupiaq people because you hate them or who were the characters? Like Oliver. Yeah, just a lot of chaos going on in this episode. Did you want to, before we kind of start going through it, Dan, is there anything you wanted to hit on it just off first glance or you want to just get into it? No, I think... There were some parts of this episode that I really liked that I thought were fresh and unexpected. I mean, I will say that just when I think I've got something figured out, there's like a whole new element or a whole new rift. And overall, that's good. That's probably why I'm giving it like plus ratings. But I don't know that there were a lot of like massive reveals, you know, where there was this piece that I was trying to find that slid into place that had any of those type moments so it's my rating is similar to what the previous episode was yeah i think it was a little bit of a tease like we did get a lot of info but we didn't get any real climaxes till the end and even that stopped short i would say so it definitely i think left us hanging let's just kind of get into it so we start with the flashback scene with navarro i pretty much was guessing it was a flashback because she had the apf hat on it would have been pretty quick for her to already be on the force again and we see her cup come up on any k who's a midwife she's being arrested assuming for her protest or whatever one of her protests i think she was arrested several times and she is delivering a baby at an in a birthing center There's a pregnant woman there. She says, what's this bitch doing here? I think Annie said helping. Jessica, what did you think of the birthing scene episode, part of the episode? I just, it gave me anxiety. I thought the baby was going, I thought the baby was going to die because I thought that girl was going to be the one to kill Annie. So I was like, that has to happen. So then I was sad about the baby, but then it never happened. Man, I'm glad I gave birth in a hospital. Dan, what did you think of that scene? With Jessica, I thought the baby was a goner too. Unfortunately, with that long pause pretty early on, even before she said, like, why isn't it crying? I was already thinking there's a lot of pronounced silence here. And I got a little anxiety. Even seeing the Ennis police SUV pull up, I actually thought it was going to be Danvers getting out. I didn't have it as a flashback initially, but when I saw Navarro and she didn't have the the trooper garb, I'm like, wait, whoa, what's this? Why is she in that vehicle? That didn't add up. 
the uniform was different. So kind of like you, Craig, I was thinking based on a couple of those context clues, are we getting a flashback here? And sure enough, they didn't make you wait a long time to do it. You're like, oh, okay, this is the Navarro meets Annie backstory. Yeah, and it did take me a second to register Annie K as Annie K. Not like a, like three seconds, but it was like a, a second and a half of a beat of like registering that, okay, that's Annie K. Well, and um, to your point, she didn't look like she did in the autopsy pictures to me. Right. She, she didn't have her she, ass beat. I'm just kidding. The star-shaped wounds yeah but so yeah if they didn't announce it now did we recognize anybody else that was there for it i'm just throwing it out there i didn't but no i didn't in that scene i think it's as good a time any now to mention that one of my sisters has given six births at home and one of my sisters has done two home births so i was expecting it to go okay but when the baby wasn't crying that was a concern. So we've got stillborns. We're not going to get like too deep into theories in this episode, but we do get a few stillborn mentions in this episode. Yeah. Do you think some of the pollution or whatever's going on here and all these other things, do you think that's leading to any stillborn issues, Dan? No. Without getting too deep into theories, I think it's Kavik's homebrew. Because as we know, the water's turning to crap. I was thinking he's taking bubble baths. Okay. <laughs> he's on uh, my radar Jessica, this week. Jessica, did you have anything on the stillborns? Because we get a few illusions. Oh, yeah. The, sci the scientists are intentionally causing them because they were doing um, experiments on like dead children like Holden. That's why we keep seeing him. And that's why he's a tell mommy. But they needed more specimens. So they're intentionally causing stillbirths. And it's being blamed on the mine. Thanks for not yeah, going into theory. I think. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I think something's going on. What it is, I don't know yet, and we'll definitely get more into it. Definitely I think on Tuesday, Tuesday, I have much more information on. Oh that. my goodness! There's a lot of consonants and vowels there. She's showing me her phone, spinning it each, like the wheel of each fortune. Each paragraph is pretty. Each paragraph is pretty much a different theory. We've been so far on. <laughs> we did get some of the humming and singing in Inupiaq as well. And then I did think it was interesting Annie Kay just turning herself over as soon as the baby was safely delivered. She just kind of gave her up and herself up and said, okay, let's go now. And I think now that I'm remembering, there was the photo where she's got the stuff smeared on her face. Yeah. And I think there was one nice photo, maybe with the jacket. And then there's one, there's obviously the autopsy photos. So I think it, those are the two arrests, but who knows if there's any more or not. So we do finally get a timeline place, which I appreciated. We're on December 22nd now. I think without knowing day or night, it's hard to tell where the hell we've yeah. been. So I thought that was helpful. I didn't know who Paulie was. We get to the scene where they're going to start this manhunt. Navarro's there and somebody says... One of the guys with the hillbillies, I think, was Paulie. We see Hank kind of talking to this group of people. Navarro is obviously not a fan of the people Hank was bringing into this thing. Dan, what was your thoughts on our introduction to the hillbillies? This is not a good Hank episode. I'm just going to say some of my... Yeah, it was good. I've, I've been waiting to lay that on, but not a great <laughs> Hank episode for you, for sure. No. What about the ice I... skates? That was 
Yeah, he's real Hans Brinker with the silver skates there. But I'm finally coming over to accept accept Hank as a shit show. He's maybe got 1% redeemable left in him for me. And as we get later into the episode, we'll talk about it. But there were times where Pete was wearing the hat. And he looked a lot like old Hank. Like the resemblance. I thought so too. It was pretty uncanny. I didn't know if, yeah, I'm glad you. Like when he turned to the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I still think there's a chance that they're making him look like he's definitely not a good person, but maybe he's not like a complicit in these crimes, you know? I think there's probably some level of complicit, but I think maybe, I still think maybe he's doing it just to avoid what he knows is the fallout of getting involved with, you know, so many bad people tied to the mines, tied to the community, that kind of thing, versus him being a lot more involved at a high level. I think that's kind of your best hope for Hank at this point. Makes sense. And, you know, it's funny, the second scene they established this whole search party. So you're thinking maybe that's going to bear some fruit or something will come from it. But the whole rest of the episode the search party efforts are very little to do with what's going on. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting red herring there. Jessica, feeling of our introduction to the hillbillies. Did you think they were good or bad for the search party? I pointed out to my mom that I was like, did you notice that all of the people they invited to the search party are white? Probably because they're trying to keep something like they don't want the wrong people finding the wrong stuff, you know, if Hank is hiding something. Do you guys have any impression yeah. of the horn sound when their jalopy pulled up? Was that the General Lee? Yes, it was. I did not immediately process it, but yeah, I good. backwards processed it. Duke's a hazard. Confederate flag. <laughs> Didn't we see that today? And I said that was like the miners. She saw a guy with a Confederate flag walking and she did say it was one of the miners. Jeez. <laughs> Jessica, oh, do you know how Lord. that sound goes? Could you reproduce it at all? No. Just try off memory. What do you remember? I don't know anything. The horn. How did it go? Just in your head. How did it go? I have no clue. Can you do a imitation I, of it? <laughs> no, I definitely can't. But it was like, isn't it like, do, 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 do. it's definitely not that. <laughs> I feel like I can get the end of it in my head, but I am not able to put what's do in my it, head Dan. through do my it, mouth. Dan. Okay, it goes something like, something like that. I could get kind of that end is about, that's about as close as I would have got to, which is why I did it. <laughs> I need you to take it up an octave. So they, we do find out some other things. Um, Raymond Clark is 5'11". He's got a 48-hour head start. So it's been 48 hours, so the body should be thawed. Well, they said at least a 48-hour head start, so I think it's been an extra day, but they don't know if it's been 48 to 72, because I think they find him around 72, but they're unsure if it's, you know. But yes, they, it's been close to 48 hours. I mean, I think we know that from the episode. Somebody's going to sweep the tundra. Davis is mining the dredges or checking the mining dredges. Quote from Hank, now let's go get this fucker. We did see Navarro and Hank kind of get into a conversation about whether they want Raymond Clark alive or not. If he really is the killer, I'm not sure what it matters. We see Navarro really, don't you think, Navarro really wants answers for what happened to Annie Kay more than she wants yeah. a murderer punished for his crime unless she can determine that he's the one who was involved with Annie Kay. I, I'm not saying she's not wrong for not wanting them to kill him on sight. I just was curious your read on that. 
Dan? My read was more, I thought Hank was coming way too strong and maybe boiling the redneck blood with, it seemed like he'd watched The Fugitive one too many times and was making this manhunt into, he consider him armed and dangerous and let's get this son of a bitch, dead or alive, things like, I'm like, we don't know any of that. And it did make me like Hank a little bit less that he provided this narrative. We're not looking to save somebody that could be lost or, you know, have helpful information. We're going to shoot at things in the dark in the ice. Jessica, what did you think? Probably how we got those guys to show up though. What if I told you that you could shoot without, you know? (laughs) Are you pro dead or alive for Raymond Clark? Pro alive. They need him alive. There's so many unanswered questions. I have an unanswered question. What's that? Who is Mrs. Robinson? I was going to ask you if you knew. I don't know. I guess we'll have to Google because none of us know. I I know it. Do you know the song? Simon Garfunkel? I do. And I know that my dad called my mom, Mrs. Robinson, because she was helping the neighbor garden all the time. (laughs) I don't know. What you'll have to Google is a movie, The Graduate, Dustin Hoffman, 1967. This is six years before I was born and went to Vietnam. Not to be (laughs) confused with Dan's other favorite movie, Tootsie. That is a good movie. (laughs) Is that a Tootsie poster? No. Is that Taxi Driver back there? What is that? Oh, yeah, I do have Taxi Driver in honor of Jodie Foster, one of her first roles. She played okay, like a 14-year-old pro- prostitute that? in that movie. What? She was one? Yeah. I'll watch I, it. I think it was her first role. And oh, the show. to get a little bit sidebar, but fun fact, the guy that shot Reagan in 1980 was a huge oh, fan of yeah. Jodie Foster's from her yeah. role in that movie. So yeah, just, he had the crush on her, right? And he thought he yeah. was going to impress her by shooting Reagan. No, she no. not like Reagan or something. I, I think it was all. I think crazy. Was she was in college at the time, and it was weird because she wasn't a star. She just had that one role as a child actress, and we're kind of getting like off me topic. shooting. It would have been like me shooting. Oh. It would have been like me shooting Obama to impress Alexandra Daddario in True Detective season one. <laughs> but I'm um, okay. So we get the Billie Eilish song. So what we have found, yes, the credits aren't the credit menus aren't different, but that kind of ending first scene that announces Issa Lopez each episode is different. And so last scene, that's kind of a preview. Of what's to come? So like last episode it was the shed board like the board on the wall in the shed and then or not in the shed in the trailer and then this one is of Kovic's ice fishing shed is what that was so So that's that's, we can fast forward until there from now on yeah but i do catch something new each time so like this episode we get the orange in the episode with navarro which we'll get to and mm-hmm. I did see an orange peel in the credit, which I, I only I noticed, caught it. I noticed the orange peel but, previously, and I'm like, what's this about? Um, yeah. And I didn't tie it to the orange that Navarro picks up at the uh, debriefing. Well, we were having feed issues, and Jessica wanted to rewind to a part that she had a theory on, and we ended up back at the credits after I saw the orange, and then I put ah. two and two together. There is how I got there. right there. I said 
that is a reference to E.T. when the orange came back to her. Which, before the orange came back to her, I said, oh my god, if this orange comes back to her, I'm going to freaking lose it. And then it did. And then I was like, that's E.T. And they mentioned E.T. later. In E.T., I think it was just a ball that that rolls back. But, yeah. Yeah, I did think that that was an interesting call out for sure. I was a little skeptical, but they did mention E.T. right after, so... Definitely could be. Danvers is trying to get Frank in the radio. I think at first she's just pissed off about the hillbillies on the search. Is that kind of what you took from her on that, Dan? Yeah. Uh, We find out that the forensic guy is booked on a flight, but he's not there yet. Lund is still in a coma. We hear Danvers say, what's Clark's shit in the evidence room for? And he says, it's evidence. And she's moving someplace more sanitary. Stinks. Do you have any idea why the evidence room stinks or why it's unsanitary? Or is it I'm from the previous flooding, maybe? That's what I was thinking that had Hank moved the files out of. Yeah, maybe that makes sense. And I'm still suspicious. Like might be, there might be mold or old cavities from the previous dentist office. Yeah, it's hard to believe that evidence room would have flooded on accident. So we've got 19 boxes of evidence. She mentions needing a tetanus shot just to handle this stuff. She calls for a temporary transfer on Navarro. He says, I thought you hated Navarro. She says, I do. I hate everyone. I hate you, which I thought was funny. She gives Pete the phone to crack. Pete doesn't really want to help anymore unless she'll tell him about the Wheeler case. Any thoughts just on this setup to the evidence scene and then her just giving Pete the phone to crack because he's 30? He's under 30 and he knows people. Yeah. this It did seem like Danvers was getting a little bit frustrated by trying to set things up and have people out roaming and doing things while she was just kind of in the office and didn't have all of her materials ready to go. Jessica, you probably could not crack a phone since you're not under 30 anymore, but did you have any other thoughts on this? That's quick math for someone over 40 I someone who is 40 I have no thoughts (laughs) did the excitement start to build for you guys when we finally found out we're gonna hear about the Wheeler case Jessica were you excited I knew exactly what was happening like the second she started I was like I said it out loud I said we're gonna see that scene from the trailer Dan were you excited to see the Wheeler scene I don't know if I was excited. I think that was something I just wanted to get out of the way because when there's still trailer scenes from the trailer out there, it seems like they haven't started telling the story sometimes. I'm like, okay, I know that's coming. I know there's this other piece and then we can get to the good stuff. But in the telling of the Wheeler case, very season one, huh? Yeah, season one, what, episode six? So we get, I don't know if it was five or six, but we do get, and we don't see it, but we get. I hope we do get to see it. We find out it was a murder-suicide of William Wheeler, allegedly. He had a background in sexual assault, armed robbery. Uh, he was with an 18-year-old girl, beat her hard, smashed jaw, broken arm. Uh, she wouldn't report him. So we already know with Navarro, this is going to be an issue why Navarro because Navarro and women 
she kind of detailed some of his excuses. She was drunk officer, fell down the stairs officer. We know that how, how that was going to end, but there was nothing we could do. So they show up at the trail. The way she describes it, he killed himself, I think, when they got there. Which one do you think killed her? Him. But we see that he's still alive and he's whistling twist and shout. So let's start here. Dan, do you think Navarro or Danvers shot him in the head? I think it was or Navarro. Or do you think he did kill himself? I think it was Navarro and that was the rift between Navarro and Danvers. It would be akin to like Marty screwing up the case and Rust getting pissed off being put in that position. I didn't pick up that it was twist and shout, but I had to switch my volume around a little bit. So that's a good call on you. I couldn't tell that it was. It only said it said it in the closed caption, but I was oh, like, okay. how did they know? Jessica, so do you think it was Danvers or Navarro who shot him? Navarro, because we also learned that her mom was beaten by her dad and she was killed by someone. So she probably, and she was a less experienced officer. So I just think that she lost her temper. When I think earlier, like an episode ago or two, you know, I think you might have even guessed Jessica that it, I think if it was Danvers who did it, it would be too much bad for Danvers. You know, Danvers needs to have something not be her fault or racist or bad or offensive, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's story-wise, it's a lot more interesting that it's Navarro and it wasn't something that Danvers did that broke him up. It really was something that Navarro did, which is kind of what I was guessing but i wasn't sure how it was going to go down i was expecting it to be more bang and we still don't know if it was bang or boom or what it was at this Maybe point they won't show it to us because women are more subtle like that i don't think it was they... bang or boom i think it was he pushed her down and then navarro went bang yeah i think we're gonna see i we're i think we're gonna see i almost think it was closer to marty which was like there wasn't a reason to shoot in that moment and just they shot losing your like blind rage yeah and now so you're not a cop, i think you're just overcome with emotion yeah yeah and so we do get some things like i'm trying to think of how that scene went but like you know marty's the one that screws up in most mm -hmm. of these shows it's actually a super likable person that's made to do something that they don't want to do or it's somebody that you don't like who does something that you don't like. But I think this would be one of the few times that we're getting somebody that the audience is supposed to like doing something that they're not supposed to do and the negative character supporting that person. Like, I, I just think if that's where we're going, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, I might have to break that down a little bit more for the next because now I'm thinking of Hayes and the guy that they buried out in the woods and yeah which he forced roland's hand on that so both times we've got this before like it would be it would have been like rust killing it would have been like if rust had killed the guy instead of marty and marty was covering for rust kind of thing you know you're getting the cop you're not supposed to like as much covering for the cop that's supposed to be the do-gooder of sorts so sticking with that it would moments. be tomorrow shot, right 
What's that? I'm saying it's diff. It's different that Navarro shot because she is the one we're supposed to like, though. Yeah, that's why yeah. I'm saying it's different. No, it's the same. Right. We're supposed to like Marty more. Right? No, everyone likes Russ no. more than Marty. That's Just only hotness. Oh, no, seriously, everybody likes Russ. No, everybody I was the only one defending. Him. Everyone in the department liked Marty more. Russ but was everybody watching the show like Russ, and everybody in the department hates Navarro. But anyway, it's we'll definitely break this down more in the deep dive. It's definitely a more of a deep dive conversation, but it's interesting. It's something to think about. Twist and shout, Dan. Do you think that really happened? That whist- whistling of that song. I'm gonna need to watch it again because hearing and it from you, you think is- it happened. My guess is we've got Holden's death is before the twist and shout whistling. Oh, so I still think Holden predates that. Wait, we don't know if it does. We don't. So I don't. I'm saying that's my guess. I don't know that. But the reason I think it actually did happen is because this looks like a pure memory and her telling it is different than actually what we see. So I'm thinking we're seeing the, yeah. the true events as they unfolded. And then Danvers's version of it is what is verbally coming across to Pete. I think we're seeing I, it. I I think memory of it was correct because she's not proving to be the crazy one. I think Navarro's kind of losing it a bit, but she seems pretty sharp still. So what I would say is I do think it's the true, I, I do think it's the true of events of what happened, but I just think it's worth the question in a show, mm-hmm. in a series of unreliable narrators, in a show of unreliable narrators based on sources with unreliable narrators. It's always a question, but usually what we're shown on screen in True Detective is what happens. I don't think it matters. I think it was just explaining the relationship. Oh, I definitely think it's going to matter when and how that twist and shout places. Like, definitely. Um, and it's very relevant if it happened before or after Holden. I think it was just showing why she hates the song. I'll bring it back at the end and show why it's important. But it's it would be lost now or we, and we'd have to go to the end of the episode. Yeah, you say, but I don't think it'll matter. Do you think, Dan, that Danvers is fully aware of the abuse of Pete and that his dad hit him because she says, keep icing that thing funny, league hockey hockey champion falling on his face on the ice ring. I thought it was interesting for two reasons. But I guess just to wrap up that last scene, she just says how Navarro blamed her for what happened. She was transferred to Troopers. But then right after that, she goes, keep icing that thing funny, league hockey champion falling on his face on the ice rink. So I think she knows what's going on with them. And I do think it's interesting. We're following a story on a woman who was abused with this pseudo physical situation with his dad. Yeah, I think I I took her comment to be a wink and a nod to Pete saying, I know what's going on. I'm a detective. I read these things that nobody else picks up on. And I know that you on ice, that's not going to happen. But I'll go along with it to save you the awkward conversation, but I'm letting you know that I know. That's how I read it. Do you think Danvers knew that his dad punched him or hit him, slapped him? Oh, she's fully aware. She's made several comments, hasn't she? I mean, you had mentioned like when she, he's not like a sandwich making dad and we had joked about knuckle sandwich, but I I wouldn't call that as direct of a reference as this is definitely a direct reference. It was Leah that really called it out in the last episode. 
so he did she did say tell your dad to get rid of his hillbilly billy friends or i'm gonna call immigration on his mail order bride uh, i think i can't remember if we've heard him say mail order bride in those exact words but anyway interesting <laughs> yeah but I, like it just being verbalized by the show so the next scene we get is navarro on the ice I guess the description I heard of this, I did have to ju- ask Jessica's mom on this because I was taking notes, was that I guess Navarro took the orange out of her pocket and hucked it mm-hmm. into the, like, the I- empty yeah, ice she wilderness. Thought, I showed her, like, finding it on the ice when they, right as they were breaking up or something, the group. So there's kind of the camp where they're all meeting to go out and canvas different areas. And, yeah, she picks it up off the ground where somebody had packed it as a snack to take on this adventure and okay. it like rolled out and so now she inherits it and then okay later she yeah she's just kind of walking through the ice and it's just her and her flashlight and uh, yeah she just kind of tosses and it out that's where she pulls it out of the jacket yeah. and hooks it okay and then it rolls back to her jessica besides the et reference what do you think's going on with this orange and it seemed like you were a little spooked out during that part. My mom has a different theory. I didn't really have any theories about it. You want to say my mom's theory? Is it a Tuesday theory or a Sunday theory? Oh, that's a Tuesday theory. I'll talk to you then. Okay. <laughs> Dan, did did you think that scene was creepy or did you have any thoughts on that? I think quite literally something else is is out there. It could be the guy they're trying to manhunt. I don't know. But it was almost kind of a friendly way to send it back, a playful way, not anything that I would consider like a, a threatening way. Like a playful one-eyed yeah. polar bear? No. I think that would be more like yet, Yeti action, throwing an I'm orange I'm thinking bag. it's maybe the scientist. It could be Clark. Interesting. I, I, I guess I, my question is, if that really happened that way on a manhunt and someone threw something back to you... Wouldn't you think that would be like a good direction to follow the manhunt? Kind of interesting how it all played out for sure. Yeah. She was more creepy. So does she they've gotta get some like industrial lighting or something for that search? Cause I feel like their flashlights are just not good. That's a I whole will lot say of I feel like Jessica. I used to like my neighbors had a flashlight and I used to walk their dogs sometimes, so I would use it. And you could see into people's houses, like dark houses, like from two doors down. Why were you okay, doing peeping, that? Peeping, Jessica. <laughs> what? Why were you? Well, and there's a people? Jessica. There's a different kind of dark in a suburban neighborhood, or yeah, or I know. Then a desolate area where it's night, like for black hole a where there's nothing straight. for the light to bounce off of and stuff. I know that, but I feel like that's why they need industrial lights, like for the mine. Bezaritas over here going in on the black holes. (laughs) So they call Navarro into the evidence room. We're not going to do a lot of song call outs to the deep dive, but we do get Sing by Bones of Junior Jones. I know you're a big Bones of Junior Jones fan, Dan, so I wanted to bring that up now. You know, I like Bones, Um, but I can't stand Junior Jones. Really? We know you like Bones, Dan. Yeah, big Bone <laughs> fan. <laughs> so I did think it was kind of interesting. They're back to back and they had all the pictures laid out. And I was like, you know, it really solved this is if they like organized it all in a spiral. <laughs> and then they did put it in a circle around them, which I thought was funny. 
looked like um, a dance to me. The way that they were so close and almost choreographed. That's an interesting read, for sure. When they were looking at the evidence? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't get that on first watch, but I do then think that's an interesting, like, artistic read to watch. And you're definitely our more high-level visual guy for shows. So I definitely respect that opinion, and I'll watch for that on the rewatch. We did get, I guess, an Ariana Grande shirt, and we got the pull from... Danvers that it must have been you know spring of 2016 that Ariana Grande came out in May of 2016 with that album and Leah was driving her nuts what did you think of the Danvers Ariana Grande pull Dan? Uh, Danvers is a character I like a lot she's got a lot of different layers we see it here we see it with the unicorn mac and cheese later but she's not one-dimensional even though she's got this tougher rugged side to her i like that we get to see all this different stuff would you swipe right i already know he would he would super swipe on jody foster this isn't no he doesn't have to choose he would, between like, dan would people. shoot ronald reagan for jody foster is he alive <laughs> no he's dead wait did he die um, getting shot i'm, I'm no. going through all of her different roles right now i mean she looks good in this one I'd say just about everything. Dan Rolodexing to the old bank here. Jeez, and crackers right in whoa, front of God and everybody. Why do you have to say that after I um, mentioned Nell? Ugh. Jessica, what did you think of the Ariana Grande poll? I was kind of hoping it would have been a Selena Gomez reference. Did you care? It was a bit like green paint for me. I just thought that was like, come on. Whoa. Who would really remember that? I think closer blue chip. and i guess if she kept hearing the song but to recognize the album cover i don't know i think it does give you a much better idea of maybe they her, did used to be close of her memory you know what i mean and i do think to jessica's point there too that probably there was a time maybe where she was paying more attention to her daughter that's probably the second biggest clue there what did you think on the, to me, a little more similar to the green paint lead, the blue tip hair lead that we got there? Dan, any thoughts like on Danvers pull there that blue tips fade? That's what I thought was a little more obscure, like how long it takes blue tips to fade on somebody's hair. Like I thought that was a little more subjective, like on how well, they treat it. I don't even know that was really here nor there. What we get from this is that there was a third person that knew about it and eventually getting there. I didn't think it was anything too unbelievable that took them to the hairdresser. Yeah, no, it wasn't as it wasn't as unbelievable. It's just like blue tip on a blue paint on a picture hair dye leads you down this road. Um, I did think it was kind of funny. We got Danvers, she's like hot, fun girl and this total weirdo. I just thought that was kind of an interesting Danvers <laughs> read. No one sees them together, secret affair. And she's asked the question and Navarro doesn't really want to engage in Danvers's games. Really funny exchange, kind of with everybody here. She says, I think Danvers kind of brings up to Navarro you still fucking that dog runner, basically. <laughs> and then Navarro says, you still fucking anyone that can't run fast enough. And then she keeps calling Pete freshman. And she says, you better learn to run faster. And I think this is where, no, it's later that we get the, the Mrs. Robertson reference with Hank. 
what's your take on the back and forth? I guess two questions here. Do we think, are we still in the camp that Navarro and Danvers never had a relationship? Dan. Yeah, I think they were roommates at best. Jessica, do you think Danvers and Navarro were ever involved with each other? No, they're straight. I didn't believe it as much last episode. I do think that's kind of how you talk to somebody that you have hooked up with with people that they've hooked up with. But that could just be witty banner. I don't know how girls talk to each other. But I'm just saying, I'm not saying it's happened, but I'm just saying it wouldn't shock me if it's happened. There is only one possible couple or hookup. Yeah. The only other thing I was going to say about the Navarro and Danvers thing is just like, and again, could be a girl thing. But I don't know where the cans are in any of anybody's <laughs> house ever that I've ever been in. Like besides maybe family, and even that's questionable. So Jessica, is the other possible one you're talking about Danvers and Pete? No. Okay, so let's. It's Annie and Hank. I'll talk about it Tuesday. Oh God, yeah, that's definitely. We'll save that for Tuesday. Um, but it's stew. Um, it's stewing. Right. I'm right. As far as Pete and Danvers go, I don't think they ever have slept together, but we get two allusions to it here. What's your take on that, Dan? Yeah, I found that kind of hard to believe. I think it was actually Hank saying something like people were gossiping about it and maybe to hurt Danvers. There was one little observation from the evidence room that I just wanted to throw out there, kind of silly, but the blue hair, the blue dye, the blue crab. I think it's a blue crab call out. It's the blue king. I love that. I love it. I love it. I think that's hilarious. That is good. So we did hear her say nobody here knows about Ted. Is Ted Connolly? Yeah. Yes, I think so. I didn't know where they were going with that. Were they trying to say, because everybody knows, Danvers was saying, and if everybody knows about Ted. I have an ex-boyfriend named Ted. More people should know about Clark and Annie. Is that where they were going with that? I kind of think that's where they were going with that. It might have been, yeah. Danvers trying to prove a point. Like, if people know about this that nobody knows about, then somebody else has to know about that very relatable situation. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was like an intentional Danvers pull or a narrative pull by the writer, but I mean, we get there all the same that I think that's what they're trying to get us thinking. So they also notice in some of those photos that like somebody was there with them, which I still don't know that we know that's that Susan lady or not, if we still know who was actually taking the photos or not. And is that the thought that she was just looking at the pictures when she was getting her hair dyed. Like, I just didn't really totally see why that led to the hair dye lady. Because like, she does Jules's hair that color and she knows where her sister gets her hair done. Oh, okay. That's where that was. Yeah. So that's where well, that, that was part of it. But the, the dye itself was physically on the back of the picture. And you would yeah, think yeah, that the yeah. person getting their hair dyed wouldn't, that wouldn't get onto their hands. But the person actually doing it could be you know, handling the the photos and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, I definitely didn't get that. But the the Jules connection definitely makes a lot more sense to me, for sure. So that is 
Susan, Danvers, and Navarro, they first meet her at her shop, right? Or is her shop yeah. part of her house? So they first meet her shop and then they later meet at their house. Is it connected to her house? I bet you that her <laughs> that salon is in either. her house. <laughs> they go to Susan's house slash shop. Navarro says she lied to her. And then where we do see that she mentions 32 stabs, it was a pretty clear message. So even if Navarro and Annie Kang aren't getting it, the hair lady is getting the message that's <laughs> trying to be conveyed to these people. This is where Danvers asked the daughter if she wants to go have an mac and cheese. Now, was there a unicorn on her shirt really named Puddles? Or was this Danvers making a story about the unicorn that was on her shirt? Did you ever read on that, Dan? I didn't even catch that the unicorn was on the shirt until they had already moved into the kitchen and the girl was helping her with it and weird knitting lady. Navarro says you need to start talking. Annie came to me one time. Annie and Ray, so I assume that's for Raymond Clark, hit it off. He was fixated on her tattoo. They said that he, she had showed the tattoo, but like if you're just meeting somebody and you're getting your hair done, in what context would you show somebody your back tattoo? I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, I don't think that was necessarily it's... like their first meeting. I think after they got to know yeah, each usually other and became intimate, then he became fixated on it. I thought there was a whole lot of history piled into the quick little story. No, I think she was saying that that happened the first time they met. I don't know if it was the first time, but the description of it did seem to be pretty early she to said me. That she begged to come that one time and they hit it off. Yeah, but we don't know when he become. I think to Dan's point, they did cram it close. So I think a second watch will definitely help trying to see if that line reads any different. Greg, you've never seen a girl's tattoo the first. Not in a, not unless we were in a strip club or hooking up later. One of those two, maybe. But Which they did hook up later. Right? I mean, we don't really. That's what I'm saying. I think we need a second. Are you trying watch to imply to, that she's fast? I. That's what you're trying to imply. <gasps> you heard that from Hank. So they, Navarro did ask if she knows what it means. And she said she dreamt it in high school a bunch of times. Probably a better deep dive conversation. But yeah. did you have any, Jessica, I'll let you go first. Cause I think you've got to read. I think that she was drugged and just remembering like a blackout where you just remember like little bits and pieces. And she wasn't dreaming it. She was seeing it. Dan, what was your read? I hadn't thought it through as, as Jessica there. I figured there was some sort of, she was dreaming it for a reason and that's how it manifested itself in her. It reminds me a little bit male prostitute from season two, I think. I think that, no, season one that they were questioning okay. and he had a lot of dreams from the school of things that had happened to him that he thought were dreams, but they were actually actions of abuse. Mm -hmm. So I am wondering, though, if they're giving you this to think that, yeah, it was season one. Yeah. But I, I'm wondering if they're giving you this to think that and it's not going to, it's a red herring or if we're, you know, if she really did have some pattern of earlier abuse there that we're unaware of. Yeah. I don't know. It was probably on the ceiling, like in the trailer. She was probably recreating her dream because he was like, tell me what you saw in your dreams and we will 
figure out where this happened and what was happening to you. Don't burn on your all your good reps now. We want to make this sure we, just, still, we still have some listeners that's Tuesday. That's not even one of good, my good ones because that just came to me. She's just giving these away for free, folks. Yeah, that's a little <laughs> teaser. You're like a drug dealer. Uh, yeah, we get the kitchen scene. We'll get into that a little bit more in the um, deep dive. We do hear a little bit more from Susan on Raymond Clark. She said he was quiet, but a little weird, crazy about her. So I think this also is very relevant, and we'll talk in the deep dive more, but Annie didn't want anyone knowing they were together. That's interesting. And there's that Um, question, why was that? That's the wrong question. And I do think it was also interesting that... Who didn't they want to know, really? (laughs) No, Who are they hiding it from? There's only one question, and that's what does it mean? <laughs> Which is what I own. think after a lot of the deep dive conversation. I'm gonna tell you on Tuesday what it means. Okay. We got our own sweet Pete right here to walk <laughs> us through it. I did think it was interesting that Navarro said she would have protected uh Susan once again. We've got a level of untrust that the police actually can protect them here, I think. So apparently, was it Susan who was seeing the Salal guy, Oliver? Yeah. And he is somewhere out on the ice, probably hunting, looking to not be found. Once again, why is he looking not to be found? And we do find out that she called in. This is probably one of the other big reveals of the episode, that she called in the police officer, but she didn't want to tell Navarro because they knew each other, right? So Mm -hmm. she called in kind of anonymously to Hank. So you talked about it earlier, Dan, Hank burying the lead. What's your thoughts here? It's still not a good episode for Hank. I can't justify this. He's looking more and more what he presents himself to be. So it gives me other questions that made me think that Hank was that person to begin with. And now I've got to rethink a lot of my original thought process. Jessica, what did you think finding out that Hank had buried this lead here? I have to save it for Tuesday because it's got something to do with them hooking up. With Hank and Annie Kay hooking up. It goes back to my theory from last week that it's Pete and that his dad is hiding evidence that he did it. But now you think Hank is hooking up with Annie Kay. Look, if he lets Stacy out for drinking and driving for blowjobs, who's to say he wasn't... Annie was getting arrested all the time for protesting. It looked like she was used to that. So maybe she was getting out of holding by doing the same thing. Maybe Hank has a history of this with many people. And it's that's kind of like why a he secret sounded... menu to get out of jail free. Yeah. And he, because he sounded so secret. Menu. He sounded super bitter when he was like, she was hick- hooking up with half the town. Is this because the... he, she was not? He's just a bitter ex lover. Is this the Big Mac McKing fish? Big, he had a big. No, this is more friend. animal style. Can I get the Blue King McFish? <laughs> Hold the fish. All right. So I did think it was interesting that as. Navarro was kind of pushing Danvers on this. She said, I don't know shit. And then she said, then you're a shit detective. But then I also do think while Danvers was claiming not to know things, she was also pushing Navarro. Do you have all of this sorted out? Because if you don't, and I think this is very similar almost to the Roland and West thing. 
or the Roland and Wayne thing where Wayne wanted to just fire off at everybody. But unless you have these guys dead to rights that are in power, you can't just go piping off with everything. Like even when they had the flight logs, like rolling. Okay. And, and so anyway, with Danvers here, she's without the mine, there's no town. 50% of the town works for the mine. So it's okay. Do you got this? Do you got this? Do you got this? Do you got this? And Navarro doesn't have that. And so I do think in this episode, we do see maybe what possibly would have made them a good team and maybe even makes the three of them a good team. Did you have any further thoughts seeing them do more detecting together as as far as their chemistry goes as a duo or a trio with old sweet Pete? Yeah, I think kind of to your point, Navarro's very detailed and fixated on the Annie K part of it. And I see Danvers looking at the bigger picture saying, okay, if what you're saying holds water, that doesn't explain Salal related things or how this would tie into this current investigation and things like that, which kind of poked a little bit of a hole in Navarro's thinking. So yeah, I think there's a good balance between Navarro being hot and passionate and Danvers thinking it through and Navarro being detailed and laser focused and Danvers looking at like a 20,000 foot elevation picture of everything. Jessica, did you enjoy Danvers and Navarro together? We know you're a big Navarro fan, but did you enjoy any of their interactions together this episode? Yes. I liked when they both got upset about Hank hiding that tip. And the only thing to bring two women together who hate each other is hating a man because they worked well together going after him. One thing about this entire episode, or at least this portion of the episode, it was really nice that it went from one realization straight into the next interview. They find out about the blue hair, they go straight to Susan. Susan tells them about Hank, they go straight to see Hank. And there's a lot happening in succession without a lot of okay, now we're going to pick up the story way over here, having nothing to do with that. And you're going to have to wait to hear about that revelation that they just told you. It kind of, Mang did a nice little machine gun. A lot less scenes filmed in the car. Bang, bang, boom. Yeah, I mean, I do think that's the efficiency of a six-episode season is maybe we don't get as many of those side quests and, and we're sticking to the meat, which we know... You're a fan of uh, bones, meat, and no foreplay. On we the did secret hear, menu. <laughs> we did hear Danvers talking about ET and chupalupas, and her asking <laughs> if he was trying to say chupacabra. We found out that she is also on Tinder in Ennis. But didn't one of you say that in an earlier episode? You definitely did. We well, yeah, talked about it. Pete or actually said Pete it asked. when they were yeah. around, like the table, and she was making him soup. And, and she denied like, it to Pete and said well, it was and she said football. She said, no, it's fantasy football. And so this was the backwards of that conversation because Navarro goes, oh, fantasy she, football? And it was funny. Denver's goes, no, it's Tinder. She could definitely put together an entire roster. She already has put together an <laughs> entire roster. It's funny. She said that she doesn't fuck where she eats. And then Navarro called her out, not anymore. Once again, that isn't, it could be a line read. I'm, I'm sure there's a whole subsection of the fan base that really is 
digging that narrative? Well, I'm not pro it. I am only responding to, I heard other people saying it and now I'm watching in the context of this episode and there's context there. I don't think, I still don't think it's where we're going, but it wouldn't surprise me. And I probably think it's yeah. more possible than you two do. It's not a slam dunk, but you could read things that way if you were inclined. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't fuck where I eat anymore. Oh my gosh, they're going to find him because yeah, but he's going to show up on her Tinder is four miles <laughs> away and they're going to use her Tinder until it goes to three miles hang on, and hang two on. miles and one mile. I think Jessica may be onto something that they're going to find somebody on her Tinder profile that's a suspect. And I they'll do, know how far away they are. I don't know that exactly, but I do will credit you that I think someone will come up on her Tinder profile that will be applicable to the case. And they'll be like, we didn't pass anything. How are they getting further away now when they were just one mile? And now, again, we're at five miles because... You didn't pass them above ground. They're underground. But how did Jessica miss this line? I don't fuck where I eat. Children. Come on. <laughs> I did also think it was interesting when she was asking Navarro what she did when she was lonely. And she know, really, what do you do? And I thought that was... I, that I was, would never ask that. was that. not the question that I thought was going to lead to them talking about God. That was a sharp right turn. And, and she's I, lying. She goes to Kavik. So she said, watch Netflix. And then she says, I pray. And this scene, I think, was maybe the most cringiest, not specifically because of the content, but I didn't think this was Jodie Foster's best delivery. Let me know what you think on second watch, but she's kidding me. You talk to God. It just, it was a pretty fake laugh to me, but who knows? She said, no, I listen. Obviously this is tied to the listen girl. So we'll see where mm -hmm. all that's going. But I didn't, that was not the best delivered Jodie Foster scene. It seemed like a Kayla delivery to me. Oh. I did think you had mentioned the first episode, Jessica, that Kayla had a bad delivery. And I noticed it in the second episode, but I didn't want you to yell anymore. So I didn't bring it up. But I did also think it was an interesting transition to her talking about listening to God, to Navarro talk about you ever get this feeling sometimes you want to disappear, walk out, never stop, just go. What was your read on that one, the transition into that and just that line itself, Dan? Yeah, it seemed a little bit out there. I didn't dwell on it at the moment. I, I think I was a little bit distracted. I did hear it, but I I really probably didn't give it the attention that maybe it deserves. It was a line from the end of episode trailers. Actually, both these parts, I think one was maybe the first episode trailer, and then but they could have both been in the second, but I either which way, these were both these lines about the you talk to God. And then you get this feeling sometimes you want to disappear. And I think they were separate trailers. So, I mean, I think it's significant in that regard, but it yeah. didn't seem like it fit together to me. And it almost sounded like, I know it wasn't like suicidal, but it was just, it's a dark delivery. I think it's going to end up with something where they're wandering out on the ice again. I mean, I think that's where this is going to pay off, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Jessica, did you have any thought on that line delivery from... Navarro, you ever get the feeling sometimes you just want to disappear, walk out, never stop? What the fuck was she talking about? That's just what women do. They just fantasize about being able to walk away from our lives and just start completely over where no one knows us. All of our responsibilities are gone and we don't have to deal with the people in our lives anymore. So do we think we're going to find out that Oliver was a woman? Is that the next reveal? Oh my God, that was going to be my also thing. also knits. 
I started thinking about that. I was like, oh my God, what if they weren't a couple? And what if he was her, you know? <laughs> but then the hairdresser hung out with them both. So that went away. They don't talk about Blue Hair Club. Yeah, yeah, remind me for a conspiracy theory on Jessica's all white women want to wander away and the- It's just all women in general. The influx of women pretending they were kidnapped only to go off with some dude for two weeks and then come back Rest home. It. Just kidding. So we get Hank with Pete on the ice. We do get a couple references here to like Danvers and you kind of caught this maybe more heavy handed earlier, Dan, like this Danvers, I don't know if controls the right word over Pete. But I mean, he works for her, but, you know, obviously we get the interaction with Caleb. It hears the dad saying, she can wait, come here for a second. Oh, I guess it was because he was saying like Danvers is pissed and, you know, Mm -hmm. needs you or whatever. So he delivers the skates from when Pete was a kid. We do confirm Darwin is four. Jeez. Yeah, he's an interesting four-year-old. Dan, what was your take on Hank giving old Sweet Pete the skates? I think this is an olive branch because the last time Hank saw Petey hit him. And so I'm thinking he needs to do a little bit of damage control. But I'm also thinking Hank's supposed to be out on the search. Why is he popping up at the ice rink right now? So that seemed like irresponsible to me that he's in charge of this other thing, but he's, you know, making his way around town. I thought it was kind of weird that Hank was leading the search to begin with, but I guess the thought is that Danvers and Navarro need to be doing detecting. But I would think the most important detecting would be finding Raymond Clark. I'm glad that's not the episode we got, but it's interesting. Jessica, what did you think of Hank delivering the skates? Maybe just trying, you know, to have Pete think of when he was four and they were happy the last time that he was nice to him. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, that's a pattern of potential relationships like that, where somebody tries to make somebody feel better after they did something like this, only before they do it again later on down the road. He did say, I do think it's interesting, the context of Pete's and his dad's real relationship. He's, if you take him out, shoot me a text. I think it's clear Pete's probably not going to text him. And if we remember back to the man, which saying he didn't really want to go out with his dad for a bite to eat, you know what I mean? I think apart from the obvious with Dan. Does he keep Darwin from him? I don't, I would imagine, I don't know that he hasn't seen Darwin, but obviously he's probably not offering him up as a sacrifice to his dad. Yeah, we haven't seen him in the same room with Darwin at all, right? Nope, but we've seen Danvers. Yeah, so I was just going to say there is this side that everybody's reading. Oh my God, is Danvers' mom? Eating Darwin. What? <laughs> is Danvers' mom what? Oh, is Danvers <laughs> Darwin's mom? Yeah. What's... I could see her banging the babysitter getting home one night. But how... she impregnated the babysitter? I think Kayla would know if a baby came out of her cooter or not. I can't believe I got to say that two episodes oh, in a row. I didn't, I didn't know if I didn't know if it was established that she was like mom or stepmom. I'm pretty sure. Kayla. I thought he was talking like, about like, heritage okay. and her and Grandma Laundromat teaching him about his heritage. Oh, I don't yeah. think that's Danvers. At least he didn't Isn't get he, like, sent old, no? old Grandma the knitter. So. I also thought it was interesting. Hank did ask Pete what Danvers was up to. 
so we do get that and he tells them they're going through the trailer's evidence and then this is when navarro shows up and confronts hank about the direct call from annie k and raymond we did hear him say that annie k was banging half of ennis do you no, think susan oh i thought it was susan no i thought she was talking about I think she he got a tip of Annie K banging some dude, and I think he was implying I got lots of tips of Annie K banging lots of dudes. No, he no, he was just bitter because he liked her and he thought he could create a relationship out of bribing her with dropping charges for blowjobs. But uh, no, he said he didn't. Tuesday, care about Jessica. Tuesday. He was saying he didn't care about the tip that it was not related to anything because. That guy was nothing special to her. She bangs everybody. I thought that Hank was saying that because he was trying to excuse his dismissal of the tip, but I don't necessarily think it was true. I just think he was trying to excuse why he wouldn't handle that tip properly. Okay. I didn't take it that way. And on second watch, I imagine you'll be right. I thought he was trying to dismiss Susan as a credible person. Yeah, no. I think he was trying to dismiss Annie Kay as a hoe for show. So any tip like that, he'd have to dismiss because what's he going to do? You know, like he said, you know, inspect half the town, you know, kind of thing. He's jealous. So Danvers does tell him to get rid of his hillbilly friends or he'll file, she'll file a negligence report on handling of Annie Kay. And he basically implies he'll file a report on her for playing Mrs. Robinson with his son. Do you have any other further Mrs. Robinson feedback? Yeah, I need like facts on that now. I can't look it up. Okay, so in a nutshell, the story was there's this guy that just graduated college and he comes home to like Pasadena to live with his parents. And that's the parents, graduate. Keep going. Yeah, that's the graduate. That's Dustin Hoffman. And so they kind of introduce him they're having like a little dinner party with um the dad's business partner or business associate and his wife come over wife um kind of like says she's having a headache the graduate the young boy to take her home so they can continue to have the party the other adults that are feeling fine so when he gets her home she starts seducing him and he pushes it off but then eventually He's like at home for the summer, nothing to do. This woman keeps making moves on him. And so they start having an affair and they start meeting up at this hotel. It's a reference to an old lady and a young man. So Mrs. Robinson. I've actually never seen The Graduate before. Have you seen Wayne's World 2? No, but I... I understand general graduate references, but I always thought it was his teacher that I thought that's why it was the graduate. I thought it was like oh, his cool. professor or something. You child so. of the 90s. No, that came much later. Okay. So now that we have that out of the way, we find out Danvers has no forensic guy. Pete suggests his cousin who's a vet. How suspect were you of this cousin who is allegedly a vet? Yeah, I didn't. Until we heard his diagnosis, I didn't know what he was going to do. He's not going to save them. He doesn't um, look like him at all, but it's to me, it's like bringing Jeff Waddle in to diagnose a body or something. Shout out to Jeff. When's the next book coming out? What do you think of this? I don't know why I'm making that allegory, but that's what jumps into my mind. But it's just, oh, I got a cousin who's a vet. 
I just thought it was funny. What did you think of Kovic's eyeshed? I because I mean I thought that blue is there for a reason. It's supposed to look filmatic, but that's the fanciest looking and fanciest lit eyeshed I've ever seen in my life. Did you have any read on the eyeshed, Dan? What color was it again? Blue. Like maybe a blue king. Oh, hi oh, he's all over it. I've got to wonder if our listeners wonder if they're we're even watching the same show. <laughs> Jessica, did you have any thoughts on Kovic and his shed? It seemed a little creepier than a fishing shed needs to be. No, like why was the outside so cute? That's what I was saying. They filmed it like it looked very nice. It like, was like a little Cape Cod mini house. I didn't take it that way. I took it as somewhere that people go to die. It was like David Lynch's <gasps> ice house is what it looked like to me. Maybe it's not Jessica a just had a revelation. But anyways, Rachel? no, I thought it looked like really cute on the outside. But then I'm like, I don't know. I would because it was so lit up that if anyone bad that light was would out scare there, away they, the fish. I just thought like anyone if anyone bad was out there, they'd find you easily. When I saw it in the trailer, I thought it was like almost like a dream sequence. It didn't look, it looked Twin Peaks-ish to me, kind of surreal. So she asked him if he knows Oliver. I don't know that I've got the name right, but tag it. Is that how you read it? Enough. Better than I could do. He said he'll ask around for a price. He quid pro quos her. So he wants her to tell him something or him he wants her to tell him something and then he'll look around for this guy or ask about him what did you think of Kovic's quid pro quo Dan I need to watch it again because I wasn't really sure what he was getting at and why it pissed her off so much but she caved pretty easily he I just I wanted heard what he said I just don't think that she's like really given him a lot of information about herself or talked about herself a lot. Like it seems like maybe they have a more physical and impersonal relationship. He wants to know more about her. and But she does really need him to ask around about this guy. So I did think it was funny that she turned around and came back. What did you think about this quid pro quo with Kovic? I thought it was going to, I was like, Oh no, he's bad. But then he just wanted to know about her. And I told you, I wanted them to get serious. They're so cute together. I'm so happy. I did think her delivery, and maybe we'll go through more later, but she's just like, fuck you, Kovic, and leaves and comes back. And then she's like, what the fuck do you want to know? It's just so funny watching her be so masculine with him. So we find out about the mom a little bit. She... I couldn't, I didn't read this line, right? So I'll get that. But we find out that they had moved to Boston. So that Navarro had lived in Boston for a bit. They came back. Kovic says Alaskan girls always come back, which I thought was funny. She's mentioning how her mom was not okay. And we hear Kovic say like Jules. I mean, obviously Kovic's very aware of the issues with her. She said one day she ran out and never came back. And they... I guess they're just saying the rumor is that she was killed or did you catch that specifically, Dan? No, I need to dig into that. I, my takeaway was I thought she was out of the picture, but to hear you retell it makes me think, oh, geez, maybe she's coming back. 
no, I think she was killed, but they don't know who killed her is how I read it. And so that's why her finding maybe these killers is so important to her because her mom's killer was never found, I think. Okay. We do also ha- hear about this like pattern of abuse with her dad, and we can get that more into that with the deep dive. How did you read that, Jessica? Is her mom dead, but we just can't find, they don't know who killed the mom? Is that the deal? Yes. Cool. A weird part of that was... Havik almost picks out her Boston accent as part of her way she speaks, which she doesn't speak with a Boston accent, but Kavik's some sort of a linguist speech pathologist that's like breaking down people's, you know, accents and things. I thought that was just kind of a weird thing for him to be an expert on. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it probably would be over his head, you would think, but I guess... You know, I don't imagine you get a lot of people with any type of accents, you know, besides maybe like a Southern oil rigger that's up there. So I, any Northeastern accent probably, I can't pick out the different Northeastern accents. A language accents. anthropologist. A linguist. An anthropologist might be working with geologists. Why are you talking uncovering- about that? Uncovering ancient <laughs> civilizations. It's her Boston accent. She spent a few years in Boston. And it's a wicked piss, so you got to go down. You can't get there from here. <laughs> Good God. Almighty. Unless you want to be stuck in the car. Unless you want to be stuck in the car for hours. We see Leah at the protest meeting. People are smearing their faces. They want the truth. They want clean water. What did you think of this protest scene, Dan? I was surprised how many people were behind it, but you can feel more of the tension building on top of the bar fight in the last episode. Yeah, it's getting pretty angry and heated around this whole thing because this is the other half of the town here. Kind of scary, interesting that Leah and her little pixie girlfriend are in the middle of it. I mean, I don't think there are suspects and it's not going anywhere, but I did mention last episode, we really hadn't seen a lot of the indigenous people And in this episode, we get the protest scene where we see a lot more of them. The midwife scene where we see a little bit more of how they live and the nomad camp. So we definitely got a broader picture besides just, you know, a couple people. We got a broader picture of where they live in the society. Go ahead. And that's what I meant with the scope expanding instead of narrowing. We're introduced to all these other factions and things. And I didn't recognize anybody but the girlfriend from the protest. But I got to wonder if there's some minor characters that will be reoccurring out of all this exposition. Now, it seemed to me like they're trying to keep this kind of quiet, like the meetings kind of almost, I mean, I don't know if it's exactly a secret, but they're meeting in a warehouse. They're not, I mean, I guess you wouldn't want to meet outside in Alaska, but it's not like overly advertised. Maybe that's, it's not the meeting that's on the third and fourth and fifth. (laughs) Yeah, they're not posting flyers in the high school, that's for sure. Yeah, because this is still the 22nd, I think. I, Jessica, maybe was, go ahead. Maybe it was notable that they recognized Leah as being Danvers' daughter, or one person did. And obviously they still accepted her and you know didn't have a lot of judgment based on that. Yeah, I wasn't sure though, because somebody went up and whispered to him something right then, but maybe that was in relation to the deaths versus... Yeah. 
I think that was the stillborn dove. But at first I was a little bit unsure and I definitely would like a second look at that. Did you have any thoughts on the protest scene, Jessica? Maybe just I'm wary of what's to come for it just because everyone's acting so extreme about don't get involved with it because bad things happen to the people that protest. But it's nice that they accept that. Yeah, I think we'll see how the accepting goes as we go oh what if they don't accept everyone i mean they they, knew exactly who she was they called her out i mean i think it's like any extreme group they generally accept people that believe the way that they believe until and i'm not saying that they're wrong to care that their water is brown to be clear i'm just saying there are extreme people in every group and like they'll accept them as long as they're going with their beliefs, I would wonder how they would accept an outsider if they weren't exactly in line with their beliefs. So we find out there's two stillborn babies. They did kind of close this out with some more of this. Like we get, I guess, three scenes of this. We get the opening scene with the midwives. We get this scene. And then we get a later scene where it's, I think it's like Inupiaq singing or humming. And I couldn't tell at the end of this episode if it was really happening or if it was like, they were using it as background noise, but it looked at, like at the end of the scene, there was a lady with an instrument. Could you tell if they were really singing together or what was going on at the end of that dance? So I'm thinking of a couple different scenes and I'm not sure. They were chanting and then they when had the Danver- moment of silence. Yeah, it was when Danvers went. That's not that scene. Yeah, where uh-huh. this is the end of the protest scene. They were humming too. Oh. There was like humming of, music. A moment of silence or like to honor the yeah, I don't the know. baby. I don't know. I, I was unsure. There was a lady with an instrument at the end, though, so I think they were really build, starting to build a hum, but I couldn't tell if it was backtracked to the show or if it was, like, live. We can cover it a little more in the deep dive. But we do go from, I think this is relevant, that we go from the scene where Leah is, where we do see some people smear the oil or whatever mm-hmm. it is, markings on their face, And then Danvers is looking at pictures of Annie Kay with that smear on her face. Is she dethawing the turkey or just dressing it? Is that what's happening? That was kind of sad because it seemed like she was preparing to cook it. It's the 22nd now, right? Yeah, 22nd going into the 23rd. We know that they're doing Christmas on the 25th. I I do have kind of a funny theory. Assuming it's frozen, we know it takes two days to the thaw. <laughs> maybe that's, hours. Yeah, that maybe that's what's going on here. Um, See, to me, the look on Danvers' reaction almost seemed like she was hoping for Leah to be there to celebrate, and you know they weren't connecting, and plans were going awry. I do agree that's how it looked on the read, but thinking about it doesn't really fit together. So I'm thinking maybe it's her being bummed about Christmas because of Holden and the dad, that kind of time of year or something like that. But I do agree with you. That's how it looked, but the actions don't match how it looked, if that makes sense. Well, doesn't it also seem like she was getting ready to cook it and then she puts it in the fridge and she's resigned? I just don't really know because I know you keep it in the fridge before. Like you just want to make sure it's not frozen. So maybe we usually don't dress it when it's sink. 
Usually you don't dress it when it's frozen either, though, I don't think. So I don't really know what was going on there. As soon as Leah gets home, she runs up to her room. She throws her clothes in the wash like old Marty does. Half joking, her coat's got ink all over it, it looked like. Or I guess I don't know if that's mining soot or what it's all supposed to be. She's got a protest shirt on. So question for you, Dan, did you think she's, she really started pressuring her about that shit's coming off your face and mm-hmm. wipe it off? How did you read this scene with that happening? I, I actually see a similarity between Danvers parenting and Hank's parenting, where they're almost forceful in trying to protect their children because she grabs, she physically grabs Leah and forces her into the bathroom in a very control-oriented sort of way to make sure that the scrubbing comes off. And the only reason I can think is that she's kind of trying to protect her and losing the battle in the process with the delivery. Jessica, what, what what did you think of this scene with her making her scrub the Indopeic markings off her face? I don't know, the same thing as I thought last time. I do think they do give you a line here that adds a little color to the last episode. And I think also the context of what just happened also adds more context. And so that context is she did say, you know what, you know what happens to them or you know what happens to those people. And so also in this scene, we get the scene where she starts looking at this picture of this girl who's been recently, not recently, been the last six years killed. The, the murder. She doesn't want to be another Annie. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely what's going on. I mean, she's going right from looking at that picture of her to this. And and actually, I almost think it bookends, and I'm not sure where, or maybe it's back to back, but first she looks at a picture of her with the smear, and then she's looking at the picture where she's got her face all beaten to hell. And so it's hard not to draw those things. And I'm glad they put these scenes in for Danvers, because obviously Danvers is controlling. Jodie Foster wants her to be an asshole. I get it. But the context is she is trying to protect her daughter. And I do agree she was physical, but she didn't backhand her either. But I I get what you're saying, and I think it's a valid comparison. She also didn't cook her mac and cheese and talk about unicorns. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, I do think, you know, we're going to get more contacts here. But, like, you know, she's a stepmother to her. We don't know if she was a stepmother to Holden or not. We don't know how much she reminds her of Holden. We don't know how much she reminds her of the dad. We don't know. I mean, there's just more contacts here that we don't have yet. But there is some reason that she's able to relate to these small children and almost nobody else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like she's very good with smaller children in that Holden age range. But everyone else, she obviously has a lot bigger problem dealing with them. Maybe more of a deep dive, but... What was with the girl at the rally with the one eye covered? I did notice the eye patch gal, but I didn't. No, wait, that wasn't the rally. I thought she she was at the protest. She's at the house. No, this is the next scene. She's at the house. Is she at both? She might be at both. Oh, you've got an eye for gals with eye patches. I know that's the thing (laughs) that you have. And I only. My pirate (laughs) fantasy. Where's that Jodie Foster movie? She was actually originally cast as Captain Hook, and then Dustin Hoffman took her role. Okay, but we know it wasn't the same eye as the polar bear, I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's I, a 
third good reference, the one eye, though. I mean, Holden mentions I'm the one eye. No, I think that's, it's a conversation. But it was the other eyes, just my only point. If they really were trying to prove it, you would think it would be the left eye. I thought it was the left eye, but I, once again, you've got an eye for these gals. I'll trust your read on it, but that can't be accidental. I mean, that's an interesting- I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean? Did you have any thoughts on the one-eyed Inupiaq gal? How are they going to show that and not touch on it? I mean, Dan wants to touch on it. Dan's <laughs> going to get much deeper into this in the deep dive. Navarro's, Navarro's saying eye. a prayer that she likes big bones, too. What do you tell Dan's girlfriend with one eye? Tell her. Nothing he's already told her once. Uh... Close as I can get to a joke. It's an almost joke. All right. So... Navarro is leaving. We think she hears something. Is it? Does she hear something in the distance? She's like gonna go after, and that's when she slips. I I thought she saw something. I thought she okay. saw somebody running through her flashlight. Okay, so she saw somebody, and then she falls, hits her head, wakes up in Afghanistan with Holden. Yeah, um, that was weird. We're pretty and sure it's Holden because it had a polar bear. You don't see his face. Yeah, he did but have the pigmentation on the hand, it didn't look he like did a white look, hand to me. I think Holden is Inupiaq like Leah, but it did look a little dark for Holden's hand. And we do get the tell my mommy. So there's yeah. something that's trying to be delivered there. And Navarro wakes up. Did you have any thoughts on seeing Holden? Didn't you have theories on that? Nothing big, but... Anything that is Sunday worthy. Instant um, reaction. What did you think of his dog pajamas? I thought nothing of them. What color were they? Blue. I don't know. Maybe it'll just be like tell mommy that I'm okay or something. But also maybe tell mommy that the scientists did experience experiments on my dead body. I don't know. We'll and, talk about it. We'll talk about eight. it. <laughs> he had kind of a whitish. They're only eating the ancient bodies, the prehistoric ones. He kind of had the whitish gray pajamas on with blue dogs. And I only know that because we did back up on that one. I wanted to see if it was polar bears. And also we didn't have the closed caption on. So we went back to see if it was tell me mommy. And Jessica screenshotted it. And the dog says dreamer and he's dreaming of a bone. So how about that? Okay. Dan. Danny has the same dreams as you. <laughs> Maybe he's Way coming different. to you in your dreams. So we find out about Kenny Hogan. He's the one covering the bar for Kovic. He calls Jules, or he calls Navarro to tell her about Jules. Jules started screaming. Someone was coming, praying. It was bad. I thought you'd like to know. She finds Jules in a shipwreck in the ice somewhere. I thought that was well, like a Star Wars spaceship crash landed on some weird planet. Yeah, she made a hell of an anchor for that ship. I'll give you that much. Whoa, uh, is that a fat joke? I oh, am not joke. known for body shaming on this podcast. Oh, hell, I am. Speaking of... I know I five not... fat people and one's four of them. Oh, God. What did we get out of this scene with the sister, Jessica? I think we're seeing her mental illness progress. I mean, I guess we're like, 
she says, aren't you cold, baby girl? How did you know where to find me? You weren't home and I know you. I mean, I guess maybe we're just supposed to see that Navarro has this connection to her, but we don't really get, she doesn't really talk about what was going on with her, right? What she was seeing or the visions or. And she didn't really, the first time, every time we come up on Jules is after the fact and she's remorseful and uh, I guess I freaked out a little bit. No can big deal. Any crimes happen this episode? Can I, can I do this? Can I go? <laughs> Maybe there's a tunnel under the ship and that's where they're eating the children. What ship? She was sitting on Oh. The one she crashed. I'm glad you explained Kenny because I had no idea who he was or why he was getting screen time. What if Jules is committing crimes during her episodes and she doesn't know? Un she and she's keeping all her jewelry under that ship, but when they find it, they're going to find the rest of the tunnel that leads to the children. That girl has no jewelry. So she I, she, I think she didn't get that big eating only $20 Oreos, <laughs> let me say. So... One thing about Kenny Hogan is I'm wondering like if they're establishing that he's going to cover the bar later for Kovic. I mean, I don't think he's going to serve a big character other than we just know that he's the one that covers. For but again, Kovic. Small, it usually is the small characters. Yeah. Then it would be all of the scientists would all be guilty if that was the case. <laughs> oh, there's no small he's characters, just small actors. They're getting bigger every episode. I did think they looked I thought I didn't get I didn't see any private I haven't seen any private parts there was one very specific scene that I did not want to point out in front of your mom but there I was a penis I was oh my god say, his legs were like right they went they just that's what I was gonna say so I thought it looked Ooh. potentially bigger this episode but the Ooh. last thing I wanted to say which one and I'm not saying it looked big I'm saying it looked I think it was just a closer shot as they were like going I over the I was watching phone. it on a very small phone. I've normally been watching on my iPad that I was watching this on Jessica's big screen. So that's also probably very deceiving. And I'm sure all the scientists know. My eyes can't see that sort of stuff. It's inappropriate. The scientists How are you not know. zoning in on it? I can't believe it. I don't know. My husband lost 40 pounds and I didn't even know that he lost a pound. I just don't notice things like that. Do you, you know, think I don't that... see color, but you don't see dick size? <laughs> I I didn't lose forty pounds of dick. Can I make the he didn't gain forty pounds of dick joke, or is it too soon? Oh, Do you think that's what? Scary, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Do you think that's what Navarro meant when she said, "Aren't you cold, baby girl?" Do you think <laughs> this is some of what she was referring to? I don't know. Oh! I don't get the sister. I don't get it. For later, we actually did get something else, though. She started talking about the water in the sea, where they were, Qualapicic or whatever it's called. I'm not saying okay. we know those come out of the sea. We haven't got an ocean reference it's yet. No, I'm just saying something Remember, might be coming out of the Remember, I said that in the drawing that she had blue hair? Yeah. In yeah, Darwin's drawing... The person Jules coming is out trying of to eat Darwin. Blue hair. But you know, so did Annie with the blue king is the real blue. Maybe Annie was kidnapping the children first and then Jules took over for her. Some blue might king. say this. Some might say the scientists have blue balls. Craig, you started this. <laughs> All right. P 
Pete comes home, knocks over a lamp, wakes Dar- Darwin, wakes Kayla. Kayla is pretty pissed, studying for the exam. How graceful was his bed entrance, Dan? Yeah, that was it was like Steve Martin comical. Did you notice their big Christmas tree that they had in the house I as well? I did. Christmas trees are popping off like crazy now. They really well, started away from Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, they, they set you yeah. damn time. Uh, they start in October like the rest of the world. We get from Kayla. He asks if I'm in trouble. He says, come on, Kayla, it's one case, which that's what I've been waiting for is this delivery of, hey, it's a murder in the town. I'm a police officer. But she says it's not going to be just one case and Danvers will be calling day and night and you're still going to answer. And so this is kind of the third reference we do get of a potential thing with Danvers and Pete, though, because he says you jealous of Danvers, which once again, I don't think anything's going on here, but there are kind of three allegories to them in this episode, which is interesting. And did we reference Navarro calling him freshman a lot? Maybe you did. We barely touched it earlier, but I was going to call it again. But yeah, I do think that's funny that she calls him freshman. There's a lot of that in this episode on top of it. So Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of him and Navarro together yet directly. And I actually enjoyed Pete and Navarro's interactions. You know, like it's almost, she's not teaching him the same way Danvers does. And it is almost a little bit of, and Jessica actually called this out with Pete at one point, but there is a little bit of a sibling rivalry dynamic to it as well. But I really enjoyed it. How, How did you feel about Pete and Navarro's interactions in this episode, Jessica? Why is she so awkward? I think she's awkward with him. Maybe even jealousy, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she had mentioned in the scene later when Pete's trying to defend or, like, how he couldn't find that guy and she had found him. Right. And Pete's trying to explain all the reasons why, and that was what Jessica picked up, that, you know, he was trying to defend himself because he felt so bad because he, you know, or, you know, in front of Danvers because of that dynamic. So I thought that was interesting. I'm sorry to go out of timeline, but it just occurred to me I had another instant reaction thing that was weird with the whole Mrs. Robinson ordeal. Okay. And Danvers' reaction is she actually smacks Hank's coffee into his face. Oh, yeah. I was Was going to- Was it water? It was like, (laughs) it appeared to be a a clear liquid of sorts. I thought it was a coffee cup. So It was a coffee cup, but I think it might've been water and hopefully cool water. Okay, because he he didn't have his face burned, but I took it as coffee that maybe cooled down a little bit or something. But that's something that is a total slap in the face, and she kind of dresses him down a little bit. And then Navarro comes in, that's all you're going to do? And I'm thinking, like, just <laughs> smack coffee in his face. Yeah. Like, what are yeah. you expecting? Yeah, I mean, I think I was pulling out a little for the deep dive, but my my questions on that were kind of, I did want to ask you about that specific thing, because that's a pretty, like, that could lead to a physical confrontation. Like, it's a bold move, and I, I didn't know, you know, is she trying to show, like, exhibit a little bit in front of Pete? But, like, even another episode, she kind of steps to Navarro, so she doesn't really seem too shy about creating conflict, for sure. This is another scene where I think Danvers gets the big picture with Hank, other than smacking the coffee. Yeah. I think, I guess I'm just comparing it to, to Wayne in this regard. They just both want all of this justice all at once. 
And I think these other cops understand that there's a system they have to work through. I think Marty and Russ were probably the best balance of that. But even then, I think Marty understood maybe how, I don't know, they both understood it. I I think that's probably the best balance. Marty played it. Yeah. Marty was a better player. Yeah. But even then, Russ still played it at times. He just didn't tell people what he was doing. You know, he just... A few times he went too far with still staying on the case, not thinking people were going to know he was still on the case, but that was definitely probably the best balance we get. So we did think it was interesting. Like Danvers is texting them as they're fighting. She's asking if he's found Oliver yet. He's not responding to Danvers. Danvers looks kind of depressed going to bed. Navarro's tucking jewels in. It's just like an interesting end. And we get December 23rd. So we definitely have the most, timeline placement we've had since the first episode where we really understand where we are when the days are ending so i wonder if the dailies came back and they're like we need to know when this is and they start adding scenes in dan go ahead i don't know what your guys read on it was but there were also multiple scenes near the end of the episode that i felt could have ended the episode just fine and then there's another little bit and then there's another little bit and it seemed like there were almost like three different trial endings to this episode. I thought it could have ended a uh, real creepy ending with Lund. Yeah, totally. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Wait, oh wait, it did, right? No, it ended with the video. Yeah, yeah. let's get there and then we'll get there. Wait, where are we getting? To that scene. Which we're scene? not there yet. One, any of us. The hospital. Where are we now? We're on December 23rd when oh my god it's been december 23rd for so long when we just started december 23rd when we walk into the inapiac house where this is where they are singing and humming here do we think this was like a ceremony for the stillborn baby yeah they were mourning the loss yeah yeah i thought that was interesting i did recognize laundromat grandma was there i liked that danvers like shut up when her daughter brought up like hey this girl lost her baby today do you even realize that and then like danvers like stopped like being a bitch for a second and yeah. went to go pay her respects and i thought that was nice how did you a, a few things so one that is how we read that scene we do have dan has his eye on the eye patch girl if you will i saw two things with danvers she at first looked very out of place until she saw the morning mother. And I think this is where like Jessica and some of the like negative feelings you have towards Danvers. And, and I think this is what this scene is meant to create here. She is also somebody that's lost a child and we know mm-hmm. she's good with child. So if there is a soft spot for her, I think this is where it is. And we see her kind of like, going into the bathroom to splash water in her face. Like she's clearly disturbed, but then I was surprised because they flashed to, I think the bodies, but that was just the bodies with the vet. So I don't think that was her vision of the bodies. So I think she, I think they're showing she's sort of clearly disturbed at the loss of Holden. And I think she relates to that mom because of that. So I don't know if it was whispering, humming, or just a soundtrack. But I heard them saying Ani a lot, or... I didn't catch that. That's just what they say. 
I didn't catch that at all, so I'll have to listen for that. Listen the second time through because it seemed like a lot of very in like in with intent whispering going on. And it it I don't know if it was supposed to be like out of this world or the women in the room, but yeah, it was repetitive. I want to get you guys ready for the next episode now. Already ready. Bang Mary Kill, Laundry Mat Grandma. Fuck. That's not even a game. I patch girl and knitting grandma. I'm going to invent a new game. It's called Kill Kill. Oh, wait. Who was it today? Oh, during the scene with Jules when she was like comforting her and I go kill. I say Mary Laundromat Grandma. Bang the iPad. All that fat laundromat. You get all those quarters. You get all that income. Bang the one eyed gal. And then kill the knitting grandma, I think, in that scenario. What did you think about seeing the dirty water for the first time? It looked dirtier than I anticipated. It's weird how this dirty water has, it's not consistent. Certain places. I think the closer you are, the worse it is. Did you have any dirty water thoughts? Would you shower in dirty water? After living in Fort Lauderdale, we were constantly under boil water notices. Actually, I would go to my friend's houses a lot to shower because even though they say, like, you can shower in it, just don't cook with it, don't use it to brush your teeth, don't drink it and stuff, I was still like, eh, I'm not going to shower in shit water, but you guys can, you know? How do you think SpongeBob holds up to that dirty water? I bet he soaks it all in. What did you think of the vet scene, Dan? Oh, he's in on it. You know, I still wasn't 100% sure why he was there, but he had an interesting read. Like, this is the first time we're hearing that everybody died before the ice, and it seemed like almost like a a heart failure, or they died of being in shock. Jessica said he's in on it. The vet's in on it. Only for one, if Navarro wasn't, unless Navarro was like imagining it, the polar bear, Pete could have stolen stuff from the vet office to tranquilize it and take its eye or whatever, just to fuck with Danvers. She thinks that he helped Pete take the polar bear eye out of the polar, their life. Dude, maybe. I can't well, believe it that this. Like, you guys are why gonna... isn't this vet still all upset about the camera? Whatever, I'm going to get some ice cream. It's the. Right <laughs> you keep going. Jessica's the Jackson Pollock of <laughs> true detective conspiracy theories. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Shitting all over the canvas. <laughs> oh, God bless America. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, his read on the caribou, because we saw a caribou that died of fright-ish, maybe. You know, yeah. like, it's not exactly, he described it as cardiac, but yeah, I think that's interesting. I also thought it was interesting she wanted him to do a tiny bit of post-mortem. And then it yeah, would be and then illegal. she pulled it back with the she pulled her punch with the just joking, but it seemed like she really wanted that. I was curious how other people saw it. Yeah, I think if Pete wasn't there, she might have pressured him to do postmortem. They've already broken off the one dude's arm one, so yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I I couldn't judge them for doing it. I mean, to be honest, the vet could be as good as the guy from Fairbanks. Who knows at this point? And all he gets out of this is a beer. 
We got Navarro has the lead on Oliver. Is it Tagog? Ta- Keep asking me. Yeah, I yeah. Speak anymore. I thought I couldn't. She was being funny when she said it's like the Muck Telegraph or something, right? <laughs> yes. That was the joke. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if we're allowed to say that. I'm unsure. He's living in a nomad camp on the North Shore. This is where she kind of keeps revisiting the freshman stuff with him. We come up on this nomad camp where we see the Inipiac Nets, I think, some of the net ladies working with a net. Um, I think they were licking some fish line. They ask why they're looking for Oliver. They say he's not around. And eventually... This scene they... kind of almost reminded me of in season three when they were looking for the one-eyed dude and they go into the like very minority-driven poor part of town and both West and Hayes are not met with a warm welcome and it gets very hostile very quick. Yeah, I definitely got more of, I definitely see what you're saying. It's definitely more one-on-one hostile versus like in that other scene, it just felt like they were all closing in on him. I think in this case, they were all watching them, but like he wasn't making, like the other guy was like kind of, getting everybody close in on him. But that's also similar to the scene in a different way from season one where they end up in that Houston stash house or whatever. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're going from most extreme to least extreme, I guess, in order. But yeah, I did think it was interesting that he was threatening them with a gun. I thought it was interesting. It seemed like when they told him, like, obviously he didn't know about the death of the Salal scientists. Yeah. And this is Oliver now. I thought they were making going to make some inroads with him when he knew that some of his comrades were dead, but that only lasted for a few seconds. I think it was once he found out that Lund wasn't dead, then he started being more aggressive with the gun again. What do you think is going on with Lund? What do you think was going on with the station? I have a mute button. Can I hear my note? <laughs> sure. Well, first note. off, uh, I think... He was punching pretty high for Susan because I would never match make those two together. Agree. Yeah. We can't mute and you're eating. Silently. <laughs> I want to watch this interaction again because he seems to be somebody capable of a lot of good insight and we get nothing. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to get something at some point. Can I read my note? Yes, what's your note? Oliver seemed relieved that Lund was dead. When he found out he was alive, he made them leave because he's terrified Lund may find him. I definitely think there's something to the fact that Lund being alive. Yeah, he seems scared. I don't know if it's directly of Lund or the situation. He's scared of someone. Tell him about Clark at all or ask him about Clark? No. I don't feel like they got that far because I feel like, you know, because he just you wasn't think really... If they were in the station together, this could be somebody that Clark knows on the outside that may have been in contact with him. Maybe he's hiding Clark in a tunnel underneath there. And that's why he was upset that Lund is still out there alive. I don't know. When he did, after he found out Lund was dead, he pointed the gun and said, don't ever come back. I mean, that's a pretty clear message of what he was hoping for. This is where we get the call from Lulu about Lund back at the hospital. Is this one of the areas you thought could have been an end with this scene with him? Or what was the first scene you thought was like? Yeah, the first that would have been a great cliffhanger. 
And then they go to the hospital and the hospital is nothing like I expect. And this is like a whole brand new aspect of this Ennis town. So we find out Lund needs multiple amputations. He's freaking out. He's apparently blind. I do think they did a good job in that somebody that would have survived that would be pretty fucked up and they didn't shortcut that at all, which I thought was interesting. They mentioned he's agitated. You can actually hear him screaming. Prior to seeing him, I mean, what were what did you think we were walking into? And then what did you end up getting versus your expectations? So thankfully, it wasn't drawn out. It was a really quick transition from him freaking out, okay, we get it, to Danvers being the paraplegic whisperer. And he says something like, we woke her up, similar to what Clark was saying. And, and then all of a sudden, this riot breaks out at the hospital that I'm hoping somebody can explain to me what was going on outside this room. Oh, if you want an explanation, you're... I think that someone did that as a distraction so that nurse could go in the room and kill Lund, the one who said she was going to sedate him or whatever, because he died right after she injected whatever she did. Who was the other person you accused of doing it? I said someone crawled in. <laughs> Who was the person you said crawled in? I don't know. You said Pete did it at one point. <laughs> no, I said Pete was causing a distraction. So that somebody else could do it. So that nurse, no, I think someone caused the distraction so that the nurse could sneak in. But I'll get who's, into the whole Pete's thing wife? about how the hospital is fucked who's up. Who's Pete's wife? Kayla, who's training to be a nurse. And she's going to work at that fucked up hospital that's causing all those stillbirths so that they could use the bodies for testing. Couldn't Kayla be in on it? Like wearing a little what? nursing credential? You just want to see Kayla in a nursing outfit. And then she's, that's why she hates Danvers because she's like, Danvers is going to ruin our whole operation. Get rid of her. Horty Halloween night nurse Kayla. Here's the problem that I have with some of this is that you have some really good takes and then you mix everything else around it because like you're in the middle of one of your better things that you did notice, which is I think with Annie Kay, she mentioned that being one of the last. She was the last birthing center in the region. So yeah, actually relevant. Without her, the birthing center closes and all of the native women now have to give birth at the white mine owned hospital we don't actually know if they're still just doing it at their home or if they are doing no, it they don't the do it at their home they go somewhere they but, need a blind anyway, stillborn hard to know yeah but, but the point of all of it is i think that small piece is relevant to the story i can't really speak to a lot of the rest of it but i can speak on was, all of it why did a riot break out at the hospital somebody explain that to me so they said there was an accident at the search party. This could be relevant to Hank leaving the search party, but these were the people from the search party. But they said there was an accident. So I'm like, did somebody accidentally shoot somebody? Like, why are they fighting at the hospital? But that is what they said is there was an accident. Okay, I did not catch that at all. Yeah, so... Taking the half step back to Lund but here. But even if there's an accident, why do you fight at the hospital? Probably. You're dumb, Johnny. You shot me. You should have let me know you were there, Cletus. 
That's as close as I'm going to get the general Lee there. That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> I can't do it on command. I'm like, Jessica. Yeah, so we did hear him say we woke her. We heard Navarro flash that she's awake. So I think they're just more trying to tie that together for us as the audience. And now she's out. She's out on the ice. She came for us in the dark. Ho. Who do you think she is in the trailer? We've got this wide-eyed woman. We've got Darwin's drawing. And you guys both think this isn't natural. I jokingly said, is someone Scooby doing this bitch? Is it McKittrick? Is somebody staging there this ghost lady to drive down the value of the mine so she can buy up all the property? I mean... Oh, she wants to scare the natives away so she can have their land. What do we really think if it's not supernatural? It's I have a hard time buying. I think there's three different storylines going on. And we're going to find out that there's like, it's just a whole town of fucked up people doing shady, wrong stuff. Who do you think she is that's waking up, Dan? I don't think we've even met her. Yeah. So, I, it's I be don't the... think it's Annie's body. The cousin of somebody. I don't know. It could be Mother Gaia. I don't know. But it did seem like his speaking to Navarro was very supernatural. Whereas the first episode I thought was supernatural, the second episode I thought was science. We went right back to crap in this episode. Yeah, and this is where I'm going to kind of re-tie together some woo crap here. So we get Lund rising for the bed. He says, hello, Evangeline. Your mother says hello. She's waiting for you and points at her. It did freak Jessica out when he started rising from the bed. She noticed it right away. Dan, what were... Hardly scared. (laughs) What were your thoughts on this scene? I'm like, I'm glad they didn't amputate that one finger so we could point. Yeah. Or that they didn't break it off on the crime scene. It. I was kind of hoping that Lund was going to be an answer near the end. And the fact that he came out of the coma so fast almost seems we're not going to get anything from him worthwhile. But that whole scene just seemed like inexplicable. Jessica did bring out a good point, which was that his nubs looked a little Tusk-esque. Oh, geez. (laughs) So I'm surprised you didn't make that connection. Jessica, what were your thoughts on him coming up in the bed? Navarro's hallucinating. I wondered that. I thought that was a possibility. My mom brought up the point that he's blind. So the fact that he pointed at her not knowing she was there and said that, that's not what happened. Okay, but was it actually Lund talking? See, yeah, it wasn't Lund. It was like whoever is possessing Lund. I mean, it definitely looked very much like a possession type of scene. Like It was more exorcist than anything. Oh, I didn't think that. That didn't even Yeah, I thought something else inhabited his body and was using him as a vessel to speak. The other thing that I will say about this, and this is where I actually do think it's pretty relevant, the killer we get at the beginning, old whatever he is, Wayne Wheeler or Wicker, William Wheeler, it's William Wheeler, Bill Wheeler, Bill Buttlicker, we our prices have never been lower so we get this scene it's the office scene where he's making dwight call bill butlicker and say our prices have never been lower butlicker our prices have never been lower 
Yeah, so at the end of that scene, he's whistling something that's very personal to Danvers. I think Holden's already died in that scene. And so how would he know Twist and Shout is personal to her? How would Twist and Shout be playing? Like you've got something. So let's forget about Twist and Shout playing for a minute. But it's almost like that William Butlicker, who is he? William Wheeler. Wheeler. Knew something personal to Navarro. Like he shouldn't know that something weird. Just like this guy shouldn't know who Navarro is and that her mom is dead, etc. So to me, these both seem like two pseudo-cosmic instances. So if that really happened, which we're saying it did, hard to believe that maybe this didn't happen. I mean, it definitely could be a vision, but I'm just saying they're sim- those two scenes are similar in that regard. They bookend. I have a hard time believing they exist in the same episode for no reason. There's something potentially to that. The blue king crab. Okay. okay. I argued with you at first about that, but I was not thinking along the lines of a possession. So, I mean, something. I do see, if that was the case in both scenes, then I see the similarity. I mean, they're both talking about the most almost significant hurt in both characters lives like the biggest source of it Uh, and we know there's other people potentially that get afflicted with this like jewels as an example you know and and i think they set you up for not reading into it with the killer because he's an abuser he's all these things so you're not registering that that killer looked very gone. Like he looked more than a, a, an abuser. Like he looked gone out of his mind. We know Jules is having problems with her mind. She said that's what people in Alaska look like. I didn't want it recorded. White people specifically is what she means no, by that. But uh, I just honestly, I assumed that it just showed how Twist and Shout went from a song that was associated with good memories to how she ended up hating it. I just thought it was just... But what are the odds that guy is humming, twist, and shout? Do we know that Lund definitely died, or did he just... Yeah. He flatlined, and <laughs> I also said it could be a Ray scenario. That's also what Jessica's mom said. Um, she hasn't seen that season, though. I thought he was dead, but yeah, I, I think he's I gone. mean, I, I think 90% he's dead, but just... He wasn't declared dead or yeah i mean based on this show's history even though it's not the same writer i would not be surprised if he was still alive based on what we've seen in life i thought he was dead the first time i kind of wish i kind of yeah apparently he survived a bunch of deaths because they were dead before they went in the water he survived that death then they died like they would have died from hypothermia and being frozen to death but he survived that he can survive anything. I think he's indestructible, Mr. Tusklegs. Maybe he's got cat's blood in him. Um, They're probably the only way drinking we were, cat's blood. The only That's way why we he has were nine lives. <laughs> the only way we were able to bring you back, Mr. Lund, was to turn you into a walrus. <laughs> so the last scene we get, Pete cracked Annie's phone. Which not sure I believe that, but he cracked Annie's phone. And we get this video with Annie Kotok in the Blair Witch Forest of wherever that is Ace in Burkittsville, Maryland. I thought she was um, in ice tunnels. 
saying if anything happens to me. No, I was just making like it looked a little Blair Witch-ish. But but yeah, she was in some sort of ice cave or tunnel saying if anything happens to me. So I do think that this part is probably not supernatural. Because I think they're setting you up based on the other scene. Like you're expecting this to be supernatural. But I don't think it is. The biggest problem I have here or gap that I need to explain is wherever this was recorded was down an ice tunnel. Somehow her phone had to get to the trailer. Somebody had her phone because it wasn't on her body. I mean, the body had to get somewhere too. I mean, definitely somebody took not just her phone, but spoiler alert, somebody took the tongue as well. But yeah, yeah, and possibly her coat, but we don't know if that was just already in Clark's possession, but at least the tongue and the phone were removed from her dead body. Could go along with what I said last episode when I said the trailer was staged. Do we... There was a lot of screaming from her and we couldn't tell what was happening. I mean, it's an okay cliffhanger, but it's hard to really... We can't really do a lot with what we saw because we didn't see anything. You know, we just heard her screaming. How many stab wounds did she have? I thought it was 32 was what the one gal mentioned. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to believe she was just killed right there, though. We just don't know a lot for sure. I mean, it's provocative, but it doesn't really give me much yet. It brings me back to those ice tunnels, so, like, where are they? Under the, under Salal. Is that how you say it? Yeah. But she, what did she say? She said, I found, what did she find? I found it. I found it. Yeah, she said, I found it. It's here. So that to me is like, I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's being like, it makes you think like I found the lady or like she did something i'm too scared to take max out in the dark guys can we stop talking about the fucking scary parts do you remember when lund was possessed no take my dog out (laughs) i have this one thing hang on before we finish does anybody have any other thoughts on this episode dan do you want to wrap us up at all it's kind of a wild ride i need to dive into it more i really do not a bad episode it's just there's more that I don't know after this episode than I do before this episode. Yeah, I one thing that I will say, I mean, it wasn't a very clean watch for me, but I think regardless, I would have wanted to watch this one twice. And I think that's a sign of a show that we're enjoying. Yeah. Oh, no, it's just, it's just a different... It was a clean watch, trust me. <laughs> At this point in the season, I want my questions to equal my answers. And as we move on, a couple more answers, a few yeah, questions we're- ultimately all answered. But it seems like I have more questions now than I do answers. You know, just as far as like the fulfillment happy pie, right now there's a lot of stuff I feel I need to figure out. Yeah, halfway there. And they're introducing more people that could be involved. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still I know the think, killer. I did think we needed... Or I guess as an audience, selfishly, you want more payoff. But I think that's why I'm just staying with an eight is because, I mean, it's good quality. I'm liking what I'm seeing. Yeah, I'd like to have seen a little more. But until they disappoint me, I'm just kind of staying at this baseline. But I I mean, I want to see more and you can only drag it so far.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. In this episode, we covered True Detective Night Country, a.k.a. True Detective Season 4, Episode 3, Night Country Part 3. I was your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode was Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show on Prestige-ish Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram and X. Thank you again for listening. If you can, please like and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms. We hope you will join us again for another episode soon. Yeah, I what like are you them. hitting a bowl over there on the side? <laughs> I, no, it's just awkward coming over here to sit on Craig's lap. He makes me do that if I'm going to speak. So it's like a ventriloquist situation here? Yeah. The hand goes somewhere. Whoa! But, uh... Earmuffs, Jessica's mom. I also saw Jessica's Christmas tree today. Oh, wow. February almost? So... Pete, I did think it was interesting. He's like, am I in trouble? And he did say, come on, Kayla. She was leaving it up for Gary's mom to see. And now she has to leave it up till the middle of next month because she works for the first half of the month. And then she can take her four million ornaments down that we're not allowed to touch. They have to be like taken down systematically by weight and size. And the Just year like that the Hall- and the year Peters. that Hallmark released them, and they all go back in their original boxes, and don't even look at them. <laughs> this is a lot of work. This is so random, and I'm gonna jump out of it. But the last time I came, kind of in this area, was because I was dating what? somebody from also that. <laughs> Was, what area? <laughs> I was dating somebody in the Sarasota area that... Why didn't you invite her to hang out with us? We're not dating anymore. And But she had her Christmas tree up and she leaves it up all year. I wonder if it's a, like this coast was of Florida thing. I, I think it was your mom. <laughs> That's so weird because you won't believe what I did with your dad. <laughs> I beat him in a fight. Was, she sent me a picture of a similar girl for a date earlier today. And Craig said no. He hates girls with boobs. So if anyone's listening and you have boobs, please don't reach out. We we have one mic, but we couldn't figure out the earphone situation. I think we're just better off this way. Jessica, it's just not What is that hole? That's what she said. Wait, no, that's what he said. Oh, I'm so confused. Oh, wait, that's where it goes. That's what she said.